Thank you, Daniel. Please be seated, everyone. Daniel and I have a mutual admiration society going, just the two of us. <laughs> I suspect over the past, I don't know how many years, uh, certainly the last couple since I've stepped back in the pulpit, he is the first one to greet me in the foyer every time. And he gives me a hug and tells me how good of a lesson I preached. And I'm telling you, regardless whether he's telling the truth or not, I absolutely love it. And you're a good reader, brother. Thank you. Just a good man from a great family. Buenos dias, mis hermanos y hermanas. Es bueno verte. Bueno verte. It's always good to see everyone. The story uh, was told to me just a couple of weeks ago. You might have heard something very similar. Actually, Debbie told me about it. She had heard it from one of her, uh, from her morning readings, uh, devotional. But the story is told of a father and a little girl, who, um, third grader, who was studying geography together. And the girl had a really challenging time figuring out where the countries of the world belonged. The father happened to see in the newspaper a map very similar to this, a world map. And so he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll simply cut the map out of the newspaper. And then I'll cut it in little jigsaw puzzle pieces. And I'll have my daughter put it together. I know she'll struggle with it. And that'll be a great teaching moment. And we will, uh, you know, we'll learn together. So he does that. He cuts it out and he cuts these little jigsaw puzzles, you know, pieces of, of the world map. And he tells his daughter, here's the scotch tape and here's the picture. So tape it all together and I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll work on it. We'll finish it up. Well, he comes back in about five minutes and the whole thing is finished. I mean, it's complete. It's perfect. Scotch tape is everywhere, but it's perfect. And um, he asked, how in the world did you do that? And she said, well, on the other side of the newspaper was a picture of a man and a little girl. And I thought if I just put the people together, the world's pieces will fall in place. I know you've heard something similar. I can see the nods, and frankly, I had too, but when I was told about it for my bride, I just thought, you know, that's so very true. Not only in today's climate, it's true all the time. It's true in the body of Christ. It's true in the church. It's, it's always been that way from the creation from Adam moment forward, if we simply put people together, everything else seems to fall in place, and it does fall in place. I can tell you, church, that's precisely, actually, my thought went to Ephesians. I know you're thinking, okay, where's the connection here? But I think it's really glaring. The Apostle Paul in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and I'll just reiterate, I'll kind of give us a quick summary from the last several weeks. I'll do it in one sentence. Paul reminds the Ephesian church and all the churches that this letter circulated to 
in western Turkey of today, Asia Minor, he said, remember, God the Father chose you. God the Son redeemed you, and God the Spirit has sealed you. If we understand, Paul goes on to really imply the same thing, if you really understand that truth, then, chapters 4, 5, and 6, walking, living, is much easier. Walking in unity and walking in purity and walking uh, in harmony and walking in love and walking in victory. The walk part of our Christian life really is easier to comprehend once we remember, I mean it really sinks in, who we are. There is, I think it's here, yeah, I had to replace this slide. I wasn't sure if I was going to have to read it from the Bible or not. We, we come to Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I'll tell you what, church, uh, help me out here. Why don't you just read it with me? Uh, can you see it from the back? If not, you can just sort of listen to us. Let's, let's read this together. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I can't really read the words Holy Spirit without thinking of the first gospel sermon. Acts chapter 2, where the Apostle Peter has already delivered the message, remarkably short, and it also reminds those of us who preach, you don't have to go on forever and ever and ever to get the point of cross, at least the true evangelistic point, that Christ died for you, He was buried, and He was raised by the glory of the God, and if we receive that moment and do accordingly, then we too shall live. So, so Peter finished the message, and then he said in verse 36, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has, has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, upon hearing this, they were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter and all of the apostles, what should we do? And Peter replied, you need to repent. You know, you already believe. You need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now catch this, verse 40, I think. For the promise was to you and to your children and to all those who are far away. The promise. Church, we have been promised by God the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, it begs the question, why? Why has God in His infinite wisdom and glory and, and power and omniscience and why would He decide, I must give my people my spirit while they're on that side of eternity 
On the other side, we talk about how on this side of eternity, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Church, on the other side of eternity, we're going to be living in the Holy Spirit. It, you know, you, the, the, but we have the Spirit living within us for a reason. And I believe these are the two reasons. You could really put, you know, you could list other reasons up there, but I think pretty much everything uh, kind of fits as the, as the world picture did. Everything fits into these two reasons. If we really understand that the Spirit of God lives within us, it will completely change how we live. Number one, it guarantees us our inheritance. And number two, the Spirit of God, He teaches us all things. So let's look at these very quickly. It guarantees us our inheritance. Basically, I see it as God telling me, He says, hey Mike, I promise you, you have my word that you will be saved, you are saved, and you will one day live with me forever on the other side in that eternal home. I promise you. In fact, I promise you so that I want to give you something. I want to make a deposit on my promise. I want to guarantee you that what I'm telling you is the truth. I'm going to give you my spirit, and I will not take it away from you. I'm going to give you me. And everywhere you go, though you're limited in time and space, everywhere you go, I'm not only around you, I'm within you. You have my word. Church, 14 years ago, we bought a house. Now, for those of you who know that I served in the military, Deb and I, for 30-plus years, you know that we moved, on the average, every 19 months is how often we moved. By the time we moved here in 2005, after 33 years of marriage, we had moved 20 times. So we decided, God willing, as long as we drew breath, that if it's possible, we're going to buy someplace and we're not going to move again. I told you that 15 years ago, and I'm, I'm telling you now, we're not moving again until I go to my heavenly home. I don't even think I'm moving from the same brick and mortar house I've got, much less Nashville. We're here. We're here for the duration. But 14 years ago, Jim Hodge was our realtor, and, um, and so he said, you know, I've, 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 I found a builder for you, and here we go, okay, put, oh, but they're going to need some money. I said, what, what, I'm not used to putting money out for government housing. <laughs> they said they want a guarantee. They want a deposit. I said, why? Well, because you may be lying to them. And if you lie to them, they want something for their time. So the builder, based on the price of the home, said, Mr. and Mrs. Whittington, this is how much I want from you before we even break ground. And if you change your mind, I keep it and you lose it. That's the way it is. That's a deposit. That's a guarantee. I want you to guarantee me that you're not going to renege on your promise. Now, on a level far beyond that, God has guaranteed you. That's exactly what Paul said, did he not? You were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Some translations read deposit of our inheritance. Well, when? Until you take your last breath or until Christ comes again. The Holy Spirit guarantees us 
Heaven. Heaven. If you've wondered before, will I or will I not make it? If you love the Lord and you have the promised Holy Spirit, yeah. That's why Paul in Romans 8, 24 and 25 calls it a sure thing. He talks about the hope that we have in Christ. Not the hope that we think of, maybe, maybe not. I hope it rains, maybe it will or not. Not at all. But the word in the text of Romans 8 talks about a certainty. It's just a matter of time. All right, the Holy Spirit guarantees us our inheritance. What about teaching us all things? A wonderful text to put to memory is John 14, 26, where, the, where, where Jesus is kind of talking to the apostles in 14, 15, and 16, and 17, four chapters talking about the same thing. And then he finally says in verse 26, you know, it is to your advantage that I go away, for when I go away, I will, quote, send you the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've taught you. So I say, okay, Lord, that was Jesus speaking to the apostles. That was our Lord talking to the apostles, to the twelve. Okay, well, I'm not quite one of the twelve. Is the promise still to me? And I only have to go as far as to remember the Spirit of God lives within me. So the moment we understand that, we know that He'll teach us all things, which, of course, begs the question, how? How does the Holy Spirit teach you all things? I believe He does it in two ways. One you'll readily agree with, the other, you may have to chew on it for a while. The first one that I have no doubt, not only you, but nearly all of Christendom would agree, the first one is the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us through the written Word. No doubt about that. But I also believe He speaks to us through the spoken Word. In just a moment, we'll touch upon that. Second Peter, I'm remembering my verses as I go. Second Peter 1:21. No prophecy of Scripture ever came by the impulse of men. Oh, that's a good news, isn't it? <laughs> no prophecy of Scripture ever came by the impulse of men, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired of God. Now listen, I'm certainly no Greek scholar, not even close, but that Greek text, you've heard this before, it is so much more clear than those six English words. Literally, Paul is writing, all writings God breathed. God breathed. All writings are God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired of God and therefore profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, me, you, might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Remember that song by Amy Grant years ago? The lyrics, Breathe on me, breath of God. It's a beautiful song. 
But what I really like about it are those words, breathe on me breath of God. No one can write those lyrics and not know that the word spirit in Hebrew and in the Greek, Old and New Testament, that the word spirit means breath, wind, wind. We have the promise Holy Spirit. And what does that do? Well, he teaches us all things. How does he do that? He does it in the written word. But we need to understand that every word that we have been given by God, written, both Old and New Testament, is because the Spirit of God breathed it into the 16 different writers, or 40 different writers over a period of a couple of thousand years. And we read is not the word of man. In this world today, they think that the Bible was just compiled by a bunch of men, maybe smart guys, but nonetheless, just a, humans, just a bunch of people who also uh, fail in everything they do. And the fact is, it was written by frail humans, but breathed by the breath of God, breathed into them the Spirit of God. I have no doubt that the more I read Scripture, the more the Spirit comes alive within me. Why? Because He's speaking to me. He's speaking to Steve. He's speaking to all of us, all of you, when you read the written Word. Why is Bible study and Bible reading so important? It's because the Spirit of God is teaching you. That way you can walk in unity and harmony and purity and love and victory. That way you can grow in Christ. That way you can be transformed into the image of Christ. It's called sanctification. And all it means is to mature in Christ. Do you realize that every one of us, everyone in the universe who comes to Christ is a baby, is born again, John 3, 3? In fact, the word, we use the word again, it can also be translated from above. And so when Jesus is talking to the, to the member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, and, and, and they have this wonderful conversation at night, and Nicodemus says, well, you know, you know, talk to me. And Jesus says, you must be born from above. You must be born of water and the Spirit. And then the whole conversation reminds not only Nicodemus, but it reminds me as I read the text that the Spirit of God lives within me. That's the written word. What about the spoken word? This is where we may have to put on your thinking hats, and you don't have to agree with me. I've prayed about this many times. Just, I, I, I sit there in the pew. I, I try to sing, but in fact, in all honesty, all I'm thinking about is this message. Not to my glory, God forbid. I'm so limited and I'm so frail and I make so many mistakes. I'm just a messenger. But what a responsibility. Because I'm not an after-dinner speaker. They're not paying me to tell jokes. God has asked me, and you in a way, to speak on his behalf. I tell you, any preacher who doesn't feel passion, stay away from. He doesn't have to be a great deliverer. He just has to feel called. 
and to study and to have the Word come alive. Not because he's so smart, because the Spirit is talking to him through the written Word, and I believe through the spoken Word. 1 Kings 19. I know it's the prophet Elijah we're going to be talking about, but it could have been Phil, Philip. It could have been any of us. It happened to be Elijah. He had just conquered, if you will, by God's power, 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel, the queen of Israel, wasn't there. Her husband, King Ahab, was. And Elijah just stood tall. Jezebel comes back and says, I'm going to kill you. And what does he do? He runs for his life. He ends up in an inner cave on Mount uh, Horeb. And while in this inner cave, he hears a voice. It's God speaking. And God asks, this is 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13. And God asked, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then Elijah spoke to God. And then God was silent. And as God was, said he's going to pass by, Elijah sees the mouth of the cave, and he sees this, this wind, this hurricane, tornado, wind. And then the Bible tells us God was not in the wind. And then Elijah next feels the ground shake. It was an earthquake, the whole mountain. But God was not in the earthquake. And then Elijah looks out, and he sees nothing but red skies, fire everywhere. But God was not in the fire. And then as Elijah drew near the mouth of the cave, he heard a still, small voice, a gentle whisper, and God spoke. And Elijah covered his face and made his way to the mouth of the cave. And the gentle whisper from God asked, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's as if to say, you're running from Jezebel, a human. Excuse me, what are you doing here? And they have a great conversation. Church, and I think this is corroborated all through Scripture. We're going to read one text. You cannot interpret God's Word without God's Spirit. It just is impossible. I know that sounds like what the plowboy who never knew Christ was reading the Bible. Can he learn enough? And I would say yes, but only if the Lord is somehow making an exception and letting him grow into Christ. It's Philip and the eunuch. He joins the chariot and the eunuch asks, you know, or Philip asks, what are you reading? And the treasurer said, uh, Isaiah. 
And, and Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the treasurer told the truth. How can I unless someone guides me? I am, I, I'm firmly convinced you cannot interpret God's Word without God's Spirit. Now, let me read you one text I think that will really reinforce this, and then the lesson will be yours uh, I, unless I keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him? Do I know what, what, what Bonnie is thinking? No, why? Now, Steve doesn't know it. He's, he, he, I'm, I'm being you know, humorous, but in fact... I don't know. No one knows what you're thinking except you, God. Why? Because I don't have your spirit. I don't have the spirit of Debbie within me so I can read every thought she thinks. It doesn't work that way. And that's what Paul reminds the Corinthians of. Verse 11, for what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. He's making a point. Listen to what his point is. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God. Why? That we might understand the gifts of the words bestowed on us by God. And we, import, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit. Look at verse 14. The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. I am not saying that one who doesn't know the Lord could find a Bible and somehow be directed to God. But it is the exception, not the rule. That's why we are to evangelize, not just so others will be saved, but there's no way they'll even figure it out without you. No one is born into the family of God full grown. You're all, we were all babies. Regardless of our physical age, the moment that we were born into the family of God, we are an infant. And what is our goal? The goal is to others to be, to help us grow. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you might grow up to salvation. 1 Peter 2, 2. We have the Holy Spirit of God, for two reasons. The guarantee is that we're going to go to heaven, thank you, Lord, and to teach us all things on our journey of faith. And the way that he teaches us predominantly is the Word of God. But if we listen to the Spirit and the gentle whisper that corroborates the Word, will never contradict it. It's the conscience within us. My conscience is different from the conscience of a person who doesn't know Christ. We have different consciences. Mine has been trained by the Spirit of God who lives within me. He has the Spirit of the world. It's entirely different. If you've ever wondered why don't you guys just get it, it's because they can't get it. 
without your help. And so, we have been chosen by God for a reason. We have been redeemed by Christ for a reason. And we have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit for a reason. What's the reason? That we might walk together in unity and love and victory and therefore spread this love to everyone around us, beginning with the ones who live next door to you, on your streets, in the community. And it is an awesome calling. May God help us. Remember who you are and to whom you belong. And listen to the whisper. We think of the power of the Holy Spirit being some miraculous, and it could be, and it has been before. It could be the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but generally, the power of the Holy Spirit is a gentle whisper and nudging of the heart. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because you felt it before. And when you follow it, good things happen. And when you don't follow it, well, it's called guilt. And it's there for a reason. If you feel the need to reply to God, to respond to the invitation that only Christ can offer, then the Lord begs all of us to draw closer together through Him as we stand and as we sing. And if I could invite the elders up, that would be wonderful. God bless you.